God, praise God, praise God. Well, God has been good. I am redeemed. Anybody here redeemed? Uh, come on, folks. Anybody here redeemed this morning? You know what the sad truth is? Some of us have been around the church so long, we've forgotten what it was like to be lost. Does anybody here remember what it was like being lost? Does anybody here remember what it was like when you were on the outside trying to get in and what was going on in your heart and your life? Does anybody remember that? Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank God I have been redeemed by love divine. Oh, yes, glory, glory, Christ is mine. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I am thankful that He cared enough for me that He would do that and do it for you as well. Praise God. Oh, clap your hands again and let's praise Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory. Come on, praise Him as you're clapping your hands. Ah, yes. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ruffle your feathers up a little bit this morning. You've already had messed up day. You've had to get up at a strange hour. You're, somebody messed with your clocks last night. Who likes that? Does anybody have any reason why they should do all of that? But they do it. Here we are trying to make adjustments and we got all this other stuff going on. But I want to ruffle your feathers a little bit this morning. You know what? It doesn't matter time change or not. God has been too good to me for me to not come into his house with a spirit of thanksgiving and praise. I don't have to run the aisle and I don't have to stand on my head. But I'll at least lift my voice and say thank you God that I have the strength to be in your house today. Hallelujah. Ah, uh, yes, I feel blessed to be here. I, I could be in a graveyard. More than that, I, I could still be living and be paralyzed. I do remember a time in my life when that was a very serious possibility. And I remember being conscious of that for a short period of time. And I want to tell you, I'm thankful to have moving body parts today. Uh, they may not move as good as they used to, and they may not be in as good a shape as they once were, but at least I can get on my feet, and at least I can praise Him. And if I can't get on my feet, I can still lift my voice, and I can lift my hand. Ah, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. My, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Turn to that person you just got through punching and tell them, you know what, I really do love you. And that was a love tap. <clears throat> I just want you to know I love you. Amen. I love you, Brother Jay. Ah, yes, I love you. I love what God's doing in our church. I'm thankful to be here. So it's good to see you, Brother Cheryl. It's good to see you this morning. I know uh, he has been battling had a, another scope on his knee and all of that stuff. It's just good to see you here today. Amen. Praise God. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 26. And oh God, I wish, I hope that I can talk to you just a little while 
about what I feel in my heart. And I hope that God will help me to not get in the way and try to be cute or anything else. Just deliver the word of the Lord. So thankful, my goodness, the last uh, week has been an awesome week. Thursday night had a great turnout, estimated over 300 people. We had 30-something families that came, new families that came for the fall frenzy. We want to thank God for that. Amen, 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 amen. And then yesterday we had a garage sale. And my Lord, they took stuff out of the gym until it didn't look like there was any end to it. And we still have stuff. But God blessed us. They made over $1,000 at least yesterday. So thank God for that. They've decided to do it one more time, the 15th. So if you can help out on that Friday, the 15th, please contact Sister Vicki. I want to thank her for coordinating that. Everybody was so helpful. Everybody was in their place doing what they needed to do. It was great. And it was an awesome day. I was just glad to be here. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him away. I want to talk to you about this character that we usually stay away from, but I want to address his life today to you, and hopefully God will help us. God bless you. You may be seated. The enigma of Judas is an interesting study. Because Judas has come to become the name for everything that is base and everything that is treacherous in the human heart. When you hear the name Judas, it stirs in the mind all of the bad that we associate with that character. His betrayal, the treachery, the hardness, the kiss, all of those things that Judas did in this portion of Scripture, they speak to us in such a negative fashion. Judas, the name has become such an anomaly that no parent in their right mind, would name their child Judas. As a matter of fact, I don't know, I've not done a study, but I would dare say that if you were to do a study, you would find that the name Judas went into steep decline from this moment forward because of what that name represented. 
And yet, listen to me. Judas comes from the root word Judah, which means praise. Now think about that for a moment. Here is a man who when his parents named him did not have in mind the failure, the betrayal, the treachery, all of the bad things that we associated with him. But in their mind, they connected this little boy, this little bundle of joy with praise. And so his name, Judah, Judas comes from the root word Judah, which means praise. My question to you this morning is, how can a man who has been associated with such high things and such lofty things become so base and so, in our minds, evil? The life of Judas is certainly one of the saddest and most difficult to understand. And I've mentioned this a few times already, but to have all that Judas had and to see all that Judas saw and to witness everything that Judas witnessed, it is amazing to me that this man, after having seen so much, could still be lost. That a man who had exposure and closeness he, was, he had proximity, not just to a teaching, but to the master, to the teacher himself. And how that man could become so closely associated with him and yet wind up a tragic loss. What a tragedy that Judas would lose all that had been given to him. Now... While you're trying to digest all of that, let me remind you that this man, it must not be forgotten that this man was called, just like all the other disciples. There was an influence that came into his life. He was chosen. Everybody say he was chosen. He was not chosen because he was evil. He was not chosen because he had these tendencies or these propensities to do that kind of thing. He was chosen because there was in this man evidence of goodness that could have outweighed the badness that would surface in his life, but it never was given a chance. And I want to tell you why in just a moment, but here is a man who was chosen and Judas had faults. There's no question about that. I mean, all of the disciples had their faults. I mean, Simon Peter and John and James, they, they were called sons of thunder. You don't think they got that nickname because they were calm, placid personalities? I mean, they had to do something to get that kind of nickname. And yet they were part of this group that the Lord had called. He was no doubt just as sincere as all of the others. Because when he felt the call and he heard his name called, 
He responded because he identified with something in Jesus that that resonated in his own spirit and his own desire. And so, listen to me carefully. Judas is not a sermon to be preached to those that don't know Jesus. I want to say that again. Judas is not a sermon that I preach to those that don't know the Lord. This is a sermon that I preach to those who know him. And I want to show you for just a moment what can happen in a person's life if the wrong things begin set in motion in their life and they do not learn how to deal with those issues in their life. The truth is, What happened to Judas could happen to any of us. It could have happened to Peter. I mean, Peter cursed him. Peter denied him. And there were others that had faults and failures. We remember his life because of how the drama unfolded. We are told in Scripture that Jesus knew from the beginning that he had these possibilities. And so the question comes, if Jesus knew that he had those possibilities, why would he choose him anyway? Well, he chose him because the same reason he chose me. I have all kind of possibilities in my own life. I mean, you see me today and I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher and I I don't know, maybe in somebody's mind I might be in an elevated position, but I'm just telling you that there is within this human frame the same possibilities that were in Judas. And so I, as you have, got to learn how to deal with those so that the wrong things do not happen in my life. If Jesus knew all of this, what was his purpose in associating with a man with such a sinister character as this man had? But isn't that the reason that Jesus came to begin with? Didn't he come for sinners? Didn't he come for the lost? Didn't he come for the, those that were... He didn't come for the righteous... He came for men and women just like Judas. Amen. We never read of the Lord putting him down, even though there are several indications that begin to rise in Judas' life that are warnings. You never hear the Lord putting him down, and you never see Jesus casting a critical eye at Judas Because of his actions. What you see is the Lord reaching for him even in the moment of betrayal. And you see the Lord kissing him back and calling him friend even in that wicked moment in the garden of Gethsemane. It is amazing how many people in life though are like Judas. You see, I believe that probably Judas' greatest fault is that he refused to take Jesus as he was. 
He refused to take Jesus as he was. And he tries to make Jesus what he wants Jesus to be. The deliverer of Israel from this oppressive government of Rome. To deliver Israel from the hand of the oppressor. So that Israel could rise again and be the nation that God had prophesied. And promised that they would be so in Judah's mind. He saw an opportunity in Jesus for that to be accomplished. And instead of him accepting the Lord for who he was and what he was and how he was going to go about doing it, Judas came with his agenda and he came with his own little criteria of things that he wanted and expected. And when those things did not work out in his life, that's when his life began to unravel. It is amazing to know how many people come to God with their own agenda. How many people actually even come to the altar with their own agenda. Oh, they come to pray, but they're not going to let you pray with them because they've got an agenda. They're going to come to the altar and pray, but they're not going to pray about certain things because that's off limits. And Judas, just like you and I, came with that preconceived notion of how God was going to do something and how God was going to work it out. And there were certain expectations in his life. And when his agenda wasn't met, things began to unravel. You know, it's amazing when you come to this church for the first time how perfect it looks. I mean, my Lord, look around. Good-looking people here. I mean, they're good-looking people. I mean, well-dressed people. Look out on the parking lot. They drive nice vehicles. They go to their house. They live in nice homes. When you come here the first time and you see this place, it's an awesome place. And I tell you, I've seen people come here, oh, Brother Hughes, this is the most fantastic place I've ever been in my life. And three weeks later, my Lord, this is the worst hell hole in all of Houston. There are more hypocrites in this church than Carter has pills. Oh, how'd I get off on that? He said, Brother Hughes, you must be dealing with a lot of that. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that's the way... It is in life. That's the way people are. We, we don't think we have an agenda, but we all have one. How's this going to help my family? How's this going to help my marriage? Whatever happened to coming to him because he has the answer to everything that I need in my life. And the church doesn't have to be perfect for those needs to be met. And the pastor doesn't have to be perfect for those needs to be met. And people don't have to be perfect for those needs to be met. And my marriage doesn't have to be perfect for those needs to be met. And my relationship with other people don't have to be perfect for me to come into the house of God and still realize that the answer to every problem in my life is found in this place. And God has a purpose for my life that He will reveal to me when I come into this house. You know why people leave churches? Because the church quits meeting the criteria of their agenda. You know why people get mad at other people? 
because you quit meeting the expectation. Whatever happened to us just accepting one another as who we're all human, we're all flesh. I mean, we all make mistakes. There's nobody perfect. My Lord, I don't care how organized you get and how good a plan you can put out there. Every plan has a flaw in it. Instead of getting my feathers ruffled up when somebody points out that there's something, there, there, there's something I overlooked, I ought to say, thank you, I didn't see that. But do we do that? No, sir. Fuck. I can't believe they questioned me. Here I've worked all night long on this, or I worked all day, or I did that. Hey, folks, we're all made out of the same stuff. Give me a break, folks. Give me a break. Somebody said, well, Brother Hughes, you don't do what you used to do. You know what? Neither do you. Brother Mike, you don't have as much hair as you used to have when I first knew you. And neither do I. This man has been around here longer than any of you. He knew me before. He knew me when I was slender and young. I could work all day and work all night, go home, sleep a few hours, get up and do I'm 58 years old. I can't do that anymore. And you know what? I used to chase down every rabbit trail, every little thing, every little hiccup, until I found out that you know what? I can't keep doing that some point in life, somebody's got to say, you know what, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do right. I'm going to, I'm, this, I, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be where I need to be. I'm not beating anything. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not here to beat you up today. I'm just saying that we need to look around and realize that all of us are in the same boat. We all struggle with stuff. Do you, if you knew half of the stuff that comes on my phone before a service... It'd blow most of your mind. You wouldn't even be able to come in here straight-eyed. I mean, on a regular basis, people that are, can't be here, they, and, and they're not here for a lot of reasons, or something happened, or they're having problems in their family, or with their kids, or something's going wrong. There's all kind of chaos going on. Everybody needs some breaks, folks. Everybody needs somebody to just come alongside and say, you know what, I am your brother. I am your sister. You don't have to be perfect for me to be that. And I don't have to be perfect for you to receive that. I'm just asking you to give me a little room and let me be what I am. I am not perfect. But the Lord is. And if you'll just stay with Him before it's over with, you'll understand His plan. But you're not going to understand it if you come with your own agenda and you decide, well, this is what it's got to be or else. That's not even in my notes. Amen. Turn to your neighbor one more time and say, you know what? I love you, flaws and all. Hallelujah. Hey, we're all a bunch of misfits anyway. Amen. We're all a bunch of misfits anyway. We used to preach a lot in Atlanta for Brother David Fuller and his wife, Sister Rosalind. She was one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in the world. But she had a physical deformity. Her feet 
one foot was bigger than the other. So when she had she bought shoes, she had to buy two pair of shoes, two different sizes. And we got to talking about that one day, and she said, you'd be surprised how many people are like that. As a matter of fact, there's an association of people in America who have the same problem I do, and they put on the Internet or they advertise that, that they have one right shoe that's seven and one left shoe that's a ten or whatever. And they share that information. Now, you can crawl over in a corner and say that's not fair. I mean, he's got perfect feet or, well, they're covered up, but at least they're both the same size. Here I am, I've got this club foot and I've got, but she didn't do that. She just accepted that as part of, of life for her and she made adjustments. And so she would go to the store. She'd buy two pair of shoes. My wife, no, she went shopping with her many times. You said, it's costly. Well, you could look at it that way, but you know what? That's better than going barefooted. Amen? And it's better than buying a shoe too big and you're having to constantly keep it taped on your foot. I'm just saying that there's things going on in people's lives that you don't know anything about. They keep it covered up. You would never know it. If you looked at her, you would never know that she had to buy two different pairs of shoes because they were both the same color. And that's a good thing to do. And they were both the same style. Some of you need to laugh this morning. I didn't mean for it to be this heavy. But she just made the adjustment. You know, it would do all of us good if we would put our agenda away. Because that agenda robs me of the opportunity of getting close to you. Because that agenda won't let that happen. Is there anybody here because you deserve to be here? Is there anybody here today because of grace? Okay. All right. I've, I've got on. I need to go on to my next point. There were three things, four things that when I started looking at Judas's life that I began to recognize that were part of the downfall and the unraveling of this life. And the first thing that I noticed about Judas is that somewhere in his life, material things became more important to him than his master. Now, evidently he had a gift with money because he was made the treasurer of the twelve. So he had some kind of talent or gifting with money. He had some kind of ability. And yet his gifting became his downfall because he didn't keep it in the proper perspective. You see, what I hold in my hands is not really mine. 
I am a steward. God gave it to me. That's what he told Israel in Deuteronomy. Everything you have, I gave to you. And you better keep that in perspective in your life. Because somewhere in Judah's handling of the money, money, material things began to become more important to him than his master. So much so that when a woman breaks into the room and breaks an alabaster box and pours out this precious ointment that's worth at least a year's wages, perhaps more than that, when she pours it out, Judah's response was, what is this waste? And the Bible said that Judas said that not because he cared. I got to looking at that. You know, that's a dangerous place to be in life when you don't care. You don't care what people think. You don't care what people say. You don't care how it affects people. You don't care what your decisions have as far as an influence on others. It causes you to not care about the thing that you need to care about. And he said, not that he cared about the, the gift, the money. It was just a principle. That's a dangerous place to be. When you get the wrong priorities and you get the wrong attitude and when you allow yourself to become cynical at other people's worship, that's what it was for this woman. It was worship. But in, in this calculating mind who had drifted away from his master and had gotten to focus on material things, he allowed something to happen in his life where he transferred worship for the worth of some object that was brought in. Listen to me this morning. It is a dangerous thing in life to get to the place where you don't care. Because when that comes, it's not long until cynicism sets in. And it's not long until that critical spirit begins to develop its further agenda and you don't care about the things that he cares about anymore. All you care about are the things that pertain to you. Do you know what? You don't have to be poor to be a fool. Solomon was the richest man in the world. He wound up being the biggest fool in the world. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter what you have. If you don't appreciate it, you can have everything in the world. And you look at life through those jaded glasses that it has done you wrong. I'm going to get to that too. You know, it's amazing. People play the lottery every day. There was a woman that played the lottery a while back. And she forgot about her ticket. Because it was only $100,000. And the real prize was... 50-something million dollars. And I don't remember what the total. But what I'm saying is, if you're not careful in life, even the blessings that you get 
you look at them like, well, yeah, that's all right, but you didn't bless me like you blessed them. Why didn't I have the winning number? You did have a winning number. You got $100,000. Why not be happy? You know what I've learned? If you don't learn to be happy with what you've got, God's no, he's never going to give you what you need. <clears throat> And the other part of that is if you'll back up and let God work things out in your life and let him do the planning, it'll work out a whole lot better than you taking it in your hands and trying to make it work and manipulate it. So Judas allowed material things to become more important than his master. And he got to the place where he didn't care. He didn't care how he treated people. He didn't care how he talked about people. He didn't care what he said about people. He didn't care how it hurt them or affected them. That's a dangerous place to be when you don't care. The second thing is that Judas never allowed Jesus to deal with the real Judas. The real Judas. That guy that was hidden deep down in the secret places. And he didn't come out very often. But he was there. And Jesus was never allowed into that part of Judas's life. He was never allowed into that secret chamber of who he really was because he kept it hidden under wraps. He associated with him. He spoke with him. He was interested in his purpose. This is the irony. This is the, this, this is the paradox of the whole story is that Judas was interested in the same things. He associated with him. He actually spoke with him probably on a daily basis, but he never let Jesus get into that secret chamber where he really lived. You can have all of that and never let the Lord really touch you. There's a lot of reasons. People hide things from God. Sometimes it's because of abuse or hurt or whatever, but it doesn't matter. You need to open your life to him because he's the only one that can really help any of us. Amen. And I'm hurrying. Number three, this is probably the most critical part, and this is what I want to dwell on probably the most. Judas, he came with his agenda, and Jesus was not working things out according to his agenda. He let material things become more important to him than his master. He never let the Lord into the secret chambers of his heart. But more than anything, the thing that began to unravel Judas's life is that he became disappointed in Jesus. Disappointed in Jesus. Judas believed in the power of Christ, but he was let down by Jesus' way of operating. He came, according to most scholars, one of the things that attracted Judas to Jesus to begin with is that he saw the Lord as the one 
who could truly be the Messiah of Israel. And when Jesus did not work that out the way that he thought it should have been worked out and his expectations were not met, he became frustrated. He became angry. And he became disappointed. Jesus' plans had not gotten Judas what he wanted. Jesus was not working in the time frame that he wanted the Lord to work in. And when our expectations of life are not met, it is very easy to slip into this disappointed mode of living. And you say, Brother Hughes, I'm not disappointed. Just hang on. I've got something. I want to prove to you that there are people even in this building right now that some of us are struggling with disappointment in our life right now because some expectation was not met. And Jesus' plan, he had he began to lose faith in the Lord's plan. He didn't understand the Lord's method. He didn't understand the Lord's process. He didn't understand the Lord's timing. He didn't understand the Lord's spirit. Disappointment is a very dangerous thing in spiritual life. Because when our ideas are different than his plans, we become disappointed. You say, well, Brother Hughes, I'm not disappointed. Well, let me ask you this. Is there anybody here this morning dealing with frustration in your life? Frustration is the first fruit of disappointment. Is there anybody here this morning fighting depression? Depression is the second fruit of disappointment. Is there anybody here dealing with anger issues in your life? You don't even know where it comes from. You just boil over at the most unexpected moment. You just blow your top. Where did that come from? Anger issues are a fruit of disappointment. Is there anybody here this morning that just in your own spirit you say, I don't care. I don't care, preacher, what you say. I don't care what the church says. I don't care. I don't care is a fruit of disappointment. You say, really, you, I'm not disappointed. Are you living in denial? I mean, that's not a river in Egypt. It's a state of mind. And there's people, you know what I've, I've seen? I've seen that the more complicated life gets and the more messed up life gets for some people, the busier they get and the harder they work and they wear themselves down living in this state of denial that if I work hard enough, I'm going to be able to outrun it. There's some things in life you're not going to outrun. There's some things in life you just have to live through. There's some things in life you just have to understand are part of life because none of us are perfect. You don't have a perfect mate. You're not going to have a perfect family. You're not going to have a perfect home. You're not going to have a perfect job. You're not going to have a perfect boss. Say, Brother Hughes, I didn't come for this this morning. Well, come back tonight. I might have something better. Disappointment 
And that, that's been eating on me. Because that's something that I struggle with. Disappointment. I'm disappointed in people. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in the church. I'm disappointed in that. I'm disappointed in here. And and life has a way of bringing us to a point where we look around and we think, there's nobody got their right mind anymore. There's nobody cares anymore. There's and, and and so because our expectations are not met, we become disappointed. And when disappointment sets in, anger comes, frustration comes, denial comes, fear comes, depression comes. And disappointment basically attacks our faith. Our faith that is the source of our life. The faith, the Bible says, without which no man shall please the Lord. That's what disappointment attacks. It comes against the core of what you believe and why you have been doing this all of your life. And it begins to eat away at that. And you don't even realize it's eating away at you. You don't realize that you're you're becoming more frustrated with the church. And you're becoming more frustrated with the pastor. And you're becoming more frustrated with your wife. Or you're becoming more angry at your job. Or you're becoming more of this. It's because somewhere in life there's something that has disappointed us. And if we don't learn how to deal with disappointment. We can make some foolish decisions and we can do some things just like Judas. And so here's what happens. When disappointment comes and we let it stay in our heart too long, the next thing that happens, and it happened in Judas, there was this wounded pride. This wounded pride. Now, how many of you think you know what pride is? What's pride? Pride's a haughty spirit. No. Pride is feeling superior. No. No. That's not what pride is. You know what pride is? Pride is the feeling that you didn't get what you deserved. Lucifer. The angel of the morning, the choir leader of heaven. Come on, stay with me just a few minutes. The choir leader of heaven, the worship leader of the ages, got to looking around one day and he said, You know what? I'm not getting what I deserve. People don't appreciate what I do around here. They don't appreciate my contribution. And you know what? He had such an influence that he was able to persuade a third of the angels that that was the truth. That's how powerful wounded pride is. And you know what I've discovered in life, church? There's a lot of things that I've done in my life and pastoring that I wish I could go back and redo because what I did was a reaction to my wounded pride 
instead of me letting him be God and me being his servant, I began to feel like people don't appreciate me like, and, and I'm not going to stand for that. And I've said things that I wish I hadn't said. I've run some people off from this church, believe it or not. Oh, not intentionally. But there are people that have left this church. And you know what the bottom line? It wasn't them. It was my wounded pride that would not allow me to humble myself and say, you know what? There's a better end to this than what wounded pride can produce. I don't know about you, church, but I, I've come too far to fail now. I, I've come too far to see my family lost or to see my future jeopardized. I, I've come too far to become bitter. I've come too far to let anger just constantly boil over in my life and ruin relationships and harm people in my family. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, my wife, she can testify. I have a temper. And I've hurt her probably more times than she needs to be hurt, but that's the way we are. Because we feel like we're not getting what we deserve. And when I look at Judas... I see myself. I see myself. I, I, I see that, Lord, that could be my story. I don't want that to be my story. I don't want my life to end up like that. I don't want to end my life bitter and angry and mean and vindictive and always mad about something. I don't want to live like that. And I'm not saying anybody is here. I'm just saying, when I look at that story, I see myself and I realize how many times I have jeopardized relationships and I have hurt people because of my wounded pride. And it goes back to being disappointed in them because I had higher expectations. And my expectations weren't met. And so, as a result, here I am, wrestling with spirits. I have been praying lately, God, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. You call me to this place to help people. I'm not here to hammer people. I'm not here to take a club and beat you down every time you come to church. And I hope you don't feel like that. I'm here to try to help you. But I also realize that many of you are struggling with the same thing that this preacher struggles with. We feel like life is not always fair and things are not working. It ought to be better than this. It ought to be better than this, but it's not. And the question is, can I live with it if it's not better than this? And you know what? I've decided that yes, I can. I can live with it until it gets better. But the alternative is not really my alternative. I, I don't want to go where he went. I don't want to end up where he ended up. So, brother, you never happened to me. 
don't ever say never because in all of us. So I'm going to close. I'm, let's stand. Let me, let me shut up. Here's the bottom line. He's perfect. I'm not. Let's keep that straight. Okay? He's perfect. I'm not. Let's keep that straight. Number two. He's God. I'm not. It works a whole lot better. In 1882, in New York City, there was a businessman named Joseph Richardson that owned a narrow strip of land on Lexington Avenue. The property was five feet wide and 104 feet long. It was the frontage to Lexington Avenue. There was another businessman named Hyman Sarner who owned a normal-sized lot behind this narrow strip of land. And so he approached this man, Joseph Richardson, wanting to buy that so he could build an apartment complex. And Mr. Richardson was willing until he heard Mr. Sarner's offer. Mr. Sarner being the businessman that he was, five feet wide, 104 feet long, he offered him a thousand dollars for that strip of land. And Mr. Richardson was so deeply offended because he felt like it should have been at least five thousand dollars. He became so offended at the man that he refused under any circumstance to sell his lot or his narrow strip of land to that tight wad he called him Mr. Sarner. Mr. Sarner goes back, he gets with his architects and he decides, well, we're going to go ahead and build on what we have. I just want you to build all the apartments so they have a view facing Lexington Avenue. And when they were through building, Mr. Richardson came by one day and saw that all of the views were toward Lexington Avenue. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to have that. There's nobody going to look over my property. And so Mr. Mr. Richardson designs a house, an apartment complex, if you please, that is five feet wide and 104 feet long, and it was four stories high. It had two suites on each level. The problem was it was so narrow that only one person could ascend the stairs or pass through the hallway at a time. 
The largest dining table in any one of the suites was 18 inches wide. The stove was the smallest that was made. And a newspaper reporter who couldn't believe the story, who went to report on it, was rather large for his size and he got stuck in the stairway because it was so narrow and the only way they could get him out was to strip him down to his underwear. The building became known, and this is a true story, it became known as the Spite House. The Spite House. And Richardson, if you can believe this, spent 14 years of his life living in that narrow resident that seemed to fit his narrow state of mind. The Spite House was torn down in 1915, but you know what? I am certain that I stayed in it last year. And I'm not mistaken, but I think I might have seen somebody here in it as well. You know, you can make life so limited that nobody can get into your life. What a miserable way to live. You know what? Church, I need you. I need you more today than I've ever needed you before. I need the best among us and I need the worst among us. Because you're going to get that out of me, the best and the worst. I need you. And I don't want to get to the place. This is a month of Thanksgiving. And this is a strange way to begin the month of Thanksgiving. But I, I just, I've been holding this for months, literally. And God said last night, I want you to preach that this morning. And I said, no, God, I'm not going to preach that because it's not going to go the way I think it's going to go. And you know what? I was right. (laughs) But maybe in a negative way, I can help some of you open your eyes and realize that you know what? Your, your family's not as bad as you think it is. Your job's not as bad as you think it is. Your spouse is not as bad. Your situation isn't, it isn't as awful as you think it is. Hallelujah. God, help me to develop a thanksgiving for everything that you give me and help me to have a spirit of thanksgiving for every situation in my life. And when I don't understand it, let me still lift my hands and say, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to worship you. Even when I fail, I'm going to crawl back to the altar. And I had to do it yesterday. I had to do it the day before. I had to crawl back to an altar and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my spirit. Forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my thoughts. I'm not perfect, but you are. And I want to be like you. 
I need more of your spirit in my life. I need your hand upon me. I need you to help me. Is there anybody here this morning that would like a little bit more Thanksgiving in your life this year? Would you like for God to help baptize you with a fresh spirit of thanksgiving that you know what, life doesn't have to be perfect for me to live in and the church doesn't have to be perfect for me to be in it and people don't have to be perfect for me to love them. I just want to be thankful that I have a church and that I have a home, that I have a wife, that I have children, that I have a job, that I have a little money, that I have something that I can lift my hands for and say thank you, God. Thank you, God. You've been good to me. You brought me into a fellowship. You brought me into a wonderful place. You've helped me, God.